Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Bear Thoughts. Today we have Swati Singh Sambal with us. I am so excited. I have been reading her work since 2015 and um I'm so so excited to finally get the opportunity to interview her today. Swati is a renowned researcher on resource management in India and on the global south. She has worked extensively in this context and has worked on implementation of policies and practices on affordability and effectiveness of waste management practices. When she's not super busy working, she actually writes poetry and is a published poet and is immense in wilderness. She loves urban gardening, of course is a zero waste practitioner and encourages many others to follow their pursuits to protect the planet. Welcome Swati. So so thrilled to be here. Great. Swati, do you want to just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh well, um, I'm Swati and uh, I've been working in the field of waste management past uh, 10 years now and uh, I'm a waste practitioner, a resource practitioner uh, who's been working very closely with governments and municipalities uh, both in India but also in global south and south asia. Uh my forte is into uh setting up affordable and effective waste management systems. Um and I think uh, this uh, you know getting into waste has taken me across the globe to different places has uh, really opened my eyes on the issues uh, the problems the challenges and uh, yeah so I feel uh, zero waste is a journey and uh, you know you can't really cities can't really resolve this problem in a day or two it may take decades but uh, but i feel we need many many more warriors in this area to curb this issue so so yeah in a nutshell that's about me yeah awesome. what made you start uh, researching environmental issues and waste issues okay um i i did my engineering in energy and environmental um engineering and uh, i think it was that course that kind of you know opened her- horizons for me in terms of where where do i want to go and what do i want to do and i think one thing i was very clear about was that i wanted to set my foot on something related to environment um i used to read this magazine down to earth since since ages and i think back in 2009 10 when i passed out of college and was looking for organizations to work into uh, i definitely didn't wanted to get into a corporate world or a consultancy world but wanted to work with groups or ngos who were at it at the forefront of it and probably that time or even till date csc is the uh, you know only organization that kind of uh, works on various issues it has history of environmental activism and decades of research and policy advocacy work so i knew that uh, i want to go there and i want to work there and uh, i think i just Uh, got a chance like immediately i passed my masters got a chance to get into csc and i think that kind of opened my world into environmental advocacy environmental politics because i feel we only focus on the science in terms of education but then you know there's there's a there's a wide politics around different subjects and of course with environment uh, there's a hell lot of it so i think csc really broadened my view point on environmental sciences and i think three or four areas into uh, three or four years working there into core areas like risk assessment wastewater management i think uh, i decided that i really want to take up 
waste as my main area of work. And uh, yeah, I think ever since uh, 2013, I've been, you know, in this field and working on various aspects related to waste, solid waste, plastic waste, uh, e-waste. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's the journey. And I think you just take a step, you know, it wasn't like I am not a planner. But uh, it was more like one step after the other, after the other. And uh, of course, uh, you really need a hell lot of passion and enthusiasm to do anything in this area. I think no one knows it better than you uh, to take things forward. So I think it was more like taking things year after year and kind of knowing that, yeah, this is my calling and this is what I want to do. And yeah, one thing after the other happened. And uh, presently, I'm with uh, uh, the United Nations Human Settlement Program and also in the same area working on uh, waste management. But I think it was CSE that kind of uh, made a solid foundation and backbone for me. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Um, can you, I know I've read your articles um, around waste, especially about underserved communities, how we can work with waste pickers to institutionalize them. Can you maybe summarize a little bit of your findings from all of your years of environmental research on how we can strengthen our policies around uh, waste management, but also um, informality and formality and all of these things? Yeah. Well, uh, I feel informal sector is critical to developing countries, especially to India. Uh, if you look at uh, the present times, uh, I feel we are not drowning in waste because of informal sector. So, you know, they are the ones that really keep our cities clean. They are at the background of everything, not at the forefront of it, but at the back end of it. But that, then again, they're extremely critical. Uh, when it comes to waste management, I think 2016 onwards and after the advent of the Swachh Bharat mission, there, there has been a paradigm shift when it comes to our perception on cleanliness and waste management. And people know about it. Uh, people do understand what is the importance of cleanliness. But And I also feel to some extent we have robust policies in place. Uh, apart from a few lacuna here and there that, that could be mended over uh, time. But if we talk about solid waste management, uh, the solid waste management rules that came in 2016, uh, almost 16 years after the rules that were there in 2000. Um, I feel they were like, you know, they leapfrogged from the basic understanding of the fact that waste management is generator's responsibility. They, they do highlight on the importance of segregation. They do highlight on the importance of, you know, going zero waste, which is your first option has to be minimization, composting, biomethanization, and your last options have to be incineration or landfilling but i think the gray area is implementation uh, where a lot of work has to happen uh, the problem is an implementation or how do cities understand waste management as uh, having visited so many cities um, in india and having climbed uh, many dump sites within india i feel that you know uh, we jumped into waste management very very late uh, in 2016, you know, we thought that, or 2011 onwards, 2011 onwards, the dialogue started and we had the draft rules. So number one, we jumped very late into this, uh, you know, into this concern and challenge. Uh, number two, implementation, because for all these years, municipalities thought collecting waste and dumping waste in a piece of land is waste management. So 2016 onwards, you know, uh, like you had to really narrate uh, it to them that segregation is important, uh, ensuring end-to-end -end channelization of the segregated waste is important, 
having decentralized processing centers over centralized facilities is important. Not having landfill, I mean, landfills shouldn't be your number one criteria. You, of course, not dump your waste in someone else's backyard. So, you know, so changing that narrative, I feel so far has been the challenge. Uh, there have been some cities who were already good at it. Uh, there are many case studies in the country which were hidden. And, uh, you know, I think over the course of these eight or nine years that come into limelight, for instance, there's a five point segregation in Panaji, uh, wherein we talk about three point segregation, but, uh, you know, Panji in Goa does, does it into five uh, streams. Uh, in Kerala, cities have already been reducing waste. I mean, I always bring in Kerala, but uh, cities have been already reducing and minimizing since ages. And they've been practicing uh, source segregation into their households, composting at source or making biogas at home, using that uh, fuel for cooking since ages. Uh, or there's Mysuru, or there's Ambikapur in Chhattisgarh, or there's Panjgani in Maharashtra. So I feel there are a lot of good practices happening in remote corners across across India. But the problem is the replication is not happening. So if Kerala is doing something, why can't Delhi learn from, from it? Or if Panjgani in Maharashtra is doing something, why can't Pune? Pune also to some extent is decentralized. But I guess as the cities have mushroomed in terms of population, uh, you know, uh, what also has happened with Bangalore, uh, it already, it always had good practices on waste management, but as Bam Bangaluru became the Delhi of South India, you know, uh, the issue of waste in remote areas and, uh, you know, in colonies that were far away from the main city, uh, it's still a huge challenge. I mean, they're still dumping in stone queries and there's a lot of run by villagers that's happening. So I feel A, cities have to constantly reinvent themselves. You have set a model doesn't mean that after 10 years, the same model will be will be implementable because we're also facing an issue of changing compositions of waste with time. You know, as consumers, the kind of products we consume, uh, the kind of material we bring into our homes and then later on dispose, that kind of affects the entire systems of waste management for a city. So I feel nothing is concrete um, and you need to constantly reinvent. And when you talked about the challenge, I feel it's majorly implementation. And lastly, informal sector. Uh, our rules do talk about formalization of informal sector, but they are informal because they don't want to be formalized. So at the first place, you have to devise models which are inclusive, which address informalities, but then at the same time, don't take away their rights and freedom. I think they really love working in a free space. And they do have a strength, which is of understanding material in the most crude ways. So I feel cities and municipalities need to recognize the asset that informal sector is and kind of enroll them into programs, into skill building, into various volunteer, voluntary uh, you know, programs so that they can slowly and slowly become a part of the system. Um, here again, I'll quote Kerala. I mean, you won't find rack pickers there because uh, all the municipalities and gram panchayats, they have enrolled the informal workers and formalized them as a part of the local government self-help group. Or I saw in Ambikapur, uh, where they have enrolled informal sector into SNGs. Uh, so I think there are various ways and various models in which addressing informalities and waste management could be looked into. But I would say there's no one-fit model 
uh, for all, you know. So I think we have to uh, understand challenges. India as a country is also vast. So what's happening in Northeast may not be implementable um, in North India or what's happening in Kerala may not be directly implementable in Himachal. But then collating all the learnings and implementing them uh, is important. Uh, I remember there was a meeting and um, someone asked, uh, you know, that, uh, well, Panchgani is too small and in Delhi this can't happen. And the mayor of Panchgani was like, well, even if a word of Delhi does it, you know, that's the idea of it, you know. So it's not like as a whole Delhi has to become Panchgani or Kerala. But even if a few words in Bengaluru or Mumbai or Delhi adopt some models that are happening uh, across the country, the best practices, I feel we'll see uh, drastic change on the ground. What we say, you know, hybrid models. Cities can't have one set model. They need to have hybrid models on waste management. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. And I totally agree. I think to an extent, the Swachh Bharat rhetoric helped mainstream conversations around waste and sustainability in a way that hadn't. Uh, but I do think in terms of implementation, we have a long way to go. Um, and, and, and thank you so much for sharing those examples of you know specific cities that are really doing a phenomenal work in this space. Um, in terms of institutionalization and um, scaling up some of these successful you know, um, you know, things that are going on on the ground, what are ways that we can, what are, how do we implement things uh, across the country? So how do we basically take on these small examples, but make it more mainstream? I, I think I would, I would like to share an intervention that I was a part of in Bihar past few years, not now. Um, and uh, we were trying to convert the city Muzaffarpur into a decentralized solid waste management model. And uh, it took about three years to do that. And uh, but the major part of the work was also to change the narr narrative of the state urban department and, you know, ensuring that they push for decentralized movement in the state of Bihar, because at no cost, Bihar having a waste to energy plant, you know, it didn't make any sense at all because it's not an industrial state to start with. Um, and uh, we replicated this model. And um, I remember I was a part of the committee of the state urban department and there used to be these slap committee meetings that used to happen um, every every uh, three months or four months. And uh, a major part of the, our work was to convince, uh, you know, state urban department to devise, devise its strategy on decentralized waste management to ensure the state has its own bylaws and practices on uh, sustainable waste management. And also to get a buy-in from them that once this particular city uh, you know, gets changed in terms of having adopted decentralized systems on waste management. Why don't you replicate this in other cities? So once we finished Muzaffarpur, there was an order that was passed by the state to ensure a similar model is replicated in about 102 ULBs in the state of Bihar. More so because it was affordable, it was effective, it was low cost. And every municipality, to some extent, it was scalable. Like you could do 50% of it, you could do 100% of it, you could do 20 to 30% of it, depending on the bandwidth and the existing uh, infrastructure that you have. So I feel for any practice to get converted into, you know, a larger scale uh, intervention, one of course is working closely with states to ensure that there is uh, either a change in the state's strategy on sanitation or waste management, or you get it done by a via bylaws, uh, which could be at a city level, or you could, you know, 
prepare a model bylaw, pass it on to the state, and the state asks every city to adopt the same bylaw, and then um, ensuring that an order is passed to for other cities to implement it. So I feel, of course, uh, every state has a different mandate. And uh, as I said earlier, that it can't be one model fit for all. Uh, of course, cities should have some liberty, you know, to do things uh, differently the way they want to do it. So, of course, as I said, so similarly for Bihar, this thing happened that, of course, after finishing Muzaffarpur, uh, not all the cities wanted to do it 100%. But then the state said like 20% and above, it's, it's depending on the bandwidth of the city, they could adopt this best practice. So I feel that's that's an, a very important uh, you know uh, way to get it done. Um, otherwise, um, I guess it's it also depends on municipal administrators. I feel for any waste management practice to happen, it, you know both political and administrative will has to go hand in hand. Um, so there are cities where either the commissioner is so strong that he or she wants to get something done, it happens. Or there are cities where politically there is so much support and mandate on waste management that even if the commissioner is not interested, still things will happen because, you know, it's it's a, a top bottom pressure or it's a bottom up pressure. So I feel there are different ways of doing it. Again, there's no one fit method. But uh, but yeah, either at state level or at city level or then at central level, you know, what SBM does on a wider scale uh, sharing best practices sharing documents uh, or you know tweeting about it so i i guess uh, so central state level and regional or local level these are the three ways in which broadly various interventions of best practices can be replicated yeah great thank you so much for breaking that down for us um, i know you you know write a lot about um, environmental justice and right now climate racism is big you know uh, not in my backyard these things are kind of becoming more and more cognizant. People are saying, why is the landfill in this low-income neighborhood? Can you share a little bit about the social justice issues associated with our waste problem? Well, um, I feel the biggest problem with waste management is NIMBY, not in my backyard. Um, I remember years ago, about four or five years ago, I had gone to Palaspa, uh, which is in, um, which is like Delhi's literally uh you know surrounded by hills of garbage so balaswa is one such garbage hill and we'd gone to undertake a study to understand the social challenges of slums uh, who live there some colonies are just like 10 to 11 meters away from you know the slope of the dump site and uh, we we took uh, water from one of the uh, hand pumps a sample of it and I remember we kept a Pepsi bottle next to it. The color of the Pepsi bottle and the color of that water, which came from the hand pump, was the same. And we saw people were using that water to uh, for their daily activities, like washing clothes, uh, washing their vegetables, making tea. Um, and uh, of course, it's not on records yet. And I, I think for some reason that report never came out. But uh, But people in that area had all kinds of ailments right from intestinal issues to cancers to lung related problems, more so because they were living close to a dump site. And of course it had contaminated kilometers and kilometers of the groundwater aquifer uh, all, all the way till the lake, which was about two kilometers away from the Balaswa uh, landfill site. So I think one major problem with waste management is that we feel that 
cities have the privilege of dumping their garbage into poor's backyards but i feel that in today's times that has changed because uh, when in gazipur about 3 4 years back in east delhi when the entire garbage slide kind of fell off and two people lost their lives and uh, the east delhi municipal corporation thought okay we'll take we'll lease out a plot of land in a village called rani khera uh, it was the villagers of rani khera who just formed a human chain and they said like you know no we can't allow your city's waste to come into our village so i feel the poor of the country are no more unaware of the issues uh, that you know dumping brings to their areas uh, and the nimby syndrome has literally become a movement in the country if you just google to various ngt cases that are happening most of them are uh, you know pils which are filed by activists and citizens who are saying that you know we can't let a waste to energy plant come in our backyard or we can't let this landfill come in our backyard and cities can't throw waste into the heartlands of villages anymore because at the first place we don't adopt this lifestyle this lifestyle isn't ours it's yours so you take care of your own shit you manage it well um so i think nimby has led to an environmental movement of sorts where in today's time the poor is more and is more aware and i think that to some extent has changed uh, i won't say largely but yes it it has kind of given cities and administrators a chance to think and rethink that we should have in house systems within cities to manage waste another kind of movement that is around waste is of course uh, on zero waste on minimalism uh, but i feel it's still a very niche uh, circuit uh, because i i think as an activist i i mean personally as an activist i feel that uh, when we when we talk about reducing or minimizing most of the options that are available like i just ordered something from a local brand for about 1000 bucks some shampoo for bars and you know which was all which all came in a zero waste package but it costed me 1000 bucks to get all those material now you can't force someone living in slum to go zero waste you can't force your uh, sabzi wala or your grocery wala or your, you know anyone who was not that privileged to adopt a zero waste lifestyle so i feel minimalism comes at a cost which is privilege which is money um and it's not possible for the poor to to go down to that level you know uh for them 100 rupees cannot be spared for buying a cotton bag to avoid plastic bags they would rather buy a zillion other things with it you know so i think that that gap has to be uh you know dissolved slowly and slowly and that's why i feel uh the market will change once consumers start demanding for sustainable products i mean we keep on shouting and howling on the issue of plastics and how single use plastics also in the time of pandemic how they have infiltrated our lives but i also feel uh it's it's very much um, an individual choice on what you want to buy because at the end of the day you're going to the mall you're going to the grocery store so you decide you know so i feel rather than blaming the company you start demanding sustainable products the moment the demand increases automatically the pricing for all these commodities will slowly and slowly come down and probably then uh, we could ask you know the poor or people who are not that privileged to go for sustainable choices but till the time that gap is not met or is not worked around uh, the entire demand supply paradigm i think it will be very difficult to say that everyone in the country will stop using plastics people use plastics because it's cheap 
it's the cheapest material out there yeah so i think you said lots of great things one was i think about the not in my backyard has led to a little bit of a polluters pay principle that's being adopted more and more now i think that's really an interesting concept and then i think minimalism being not so accessible or the price points of sustainable products not really being a mass market product for our aam aadmi indian um, so i think these are really great points that you've made but um, i also think it's an economies of scale problem and solution so as more people are you know uh, demanding better products um and better legislation to maybe create some incentives for small companies that are trying to create more sustainable products um so i think you know hopefully it'll be help with bring down the prices of those sustainable alternatives and then hopefully make it more mainstream <laughs> yeah awesome so how do you incorporate incorporate circularity into your life how do you live a zero waste lifestyle okay well i i i won't say that i've been doing this since ages um i think it's been a few years and i also feel zero waste is a journey uh and you, i i'm i'm not 100% zero waste but i feel every day you kind of figure out and try some alternative or the other but uh, as a start i do segregate at source um um into about 9 10 items primarily um i compost at home um i i am an urban gardener which means uh, most of us don't have the privilege of space you know living in flats or houses in in metro cities but uh, i do ensure that i grow a few basic uh, things you know which are required uh, for day to day cooking um and uh, and i i i do believe in the multiplier effect so that's something which i do if, if i know something i will ensure that people around me uh, work around it so i remember uh, in my last job i used to manage a big team and uh the moment anyone used to join i used to check with them do you compost like you're working on waste management if you don't do this bit like segregate and compost then you can't work in my team so you better start uh you know acting on it or composting so you know i i do and i believe very strongly in that multiplier effect that an individual has the potential to bring change you know rather than asking for change you can do it yourself um so so that's something which i'm at it in many ways as i can and uh, and yeah i mean i i think i'm very active on what's happening around uh, we do talk about the dearth of information but i feel there's a lot of information around and there are a lot of best practices that are happening around so as an individual i do make sure if i come to know there's something very interesting happening in philippines so i'll i'll try to reach out to that person and would want to know what's happening or something happening in nepal which you know which i could uh then learn and you know help a municipality with so i feel in that sense i'm very active in terms of uh trying to collate information best practices and you know ensuring that exchange of information happens because that is uh, i think that is not happening which which kind of leads to what we talked about uh, you know implementation is not happening or change is not happening it's also because there's no exchange of information that's happening effective exchange so i think i'm i'm very much at it i'm a sucker for uh, for uh, best practices like i really i'm really interested in knowing what's happening around and if there's an issue why why is that issue uh, prevalent yeah so that's about it great tip for all of our listeners if they ever want to work with um, swati sambal you must compost and segregate all of your waste <laughs> <laughs> so swati what does sustainability mean to you Well um I think 
uh, I mean, okay, when we say zero waste or when we say, uh, you know, circularity, I feel no one really understands uh, circular economy is the buzzword. Everyone is using it, but no one really understands it. Um, and I also feel that uh, sustainability uh, to me is, uh, you know, having a very localized approach uh, towards interventions when it comes to environment or any sector for that matter, for all our countries. Uh, one issue that most of the developing countries face, and that's why most of the times we go south and not to the right direction, is because we feel a practice in the best, in which is happening probably in a Western country, could, could resolve an issue which is prevalent here. But to me, sustainability is um, encouraging local interventions, adopting and replicating local interventions, which in today's time is the need of the um, R. It, uh, it also means closing the loop through various uh, means uh, when it comes to resources, uh, because uh, you know what is filled for you is a resource for someone else. So I, I think that passing on the parcel uh, thing actually works in the waste value chain. And uh, to me, it's you know taking small interventions to, towards the bigger cause of um, you know addressing issues like climate change or GNG emissions. I mean, at the end of the day, any kind of intervention on environment sector is in a broader way linked towards uh, reducing uh, GNG emissions. Uh, so so that you know the rate at which the climate is changing. Uh, and global warming is happening, that could be reduced. So I think in a nutshell, um, you know, a summing up of all this is sustainability to me. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, my last question for you is, what is that one piece of advice you'd like to give someone who's an aspiring environmentalist or uh, a policy researcher or a behavioral economist who wants to work in the waste and sustainability space? Okay. Well, uh, I feel uh, read a lot. Uh, it's really important to 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 be aware of what's happening around. So uh, reading always helps. Uh, also, probably I'll share with you there are a list of books that you know people who want to get into uh, the environmental sector they should definitely read as a must, especially to understand uh, Indian environmental politics. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll probably suggest. Uh, to use some books that they may find handy. So reading is one. Secondly, you know, if you really don't know how to go about it, join an organization or an NGO or an active volunteer group who's working on these issues. Uh, I feel working on the ground really changes your perception because uh, bookish knowledge can help to some extent, but it's only when you dirty your hands and feet on the ground that you pick up something. I mean, most of my understanding of waste and my perceptions have changed because I was working on implementation. So what probably seems easy as a flowchart diagram or as an action plan, when you actually get on the ground, it all gets mixed up because everyone wants different things. And then how do you start from there? And how do you get it done? Uh, so I'm not saying that everyone gets an opportunity to work on implementation or everyone should dirty their hands at it. But I feel uh, going on the ground, um, even just to walk uh, around with your uh, with your waste collector can change your entire vision on what happens to your waste right from the time it gets picked up, picked up to where it goes. Uh, because if you ask people, where, where does your waste go? And I think 40, 50 percent won't even know where um, it goes. So I think uh, 
uh, dirtying your hands on the ground is really important and doing basic things like you know um, cutting down on plastics i mean some of the easiest things that people who want to work in the sector could do would be uh, reducing their plastic uh, footprint on a day to day basis uh, small basics like carrying your bag or carrying a water bottle or uh, trying to refuse single use items i'm i'm not saying you can do it at all at one moment but but then yeah baby steps at a time um and uh, yeah i think uh, reading and listening to podcasts and i mean i feel in today's time there are multiple options uh, back there in our times probably you know associating yourself to an ngo was the easiest possible way to get into this field but i feel uh, the world is very open right now you know and uh, there's so many modes through which you can communicate uh, exchange information and learn about uh, things so the options are more wide now i think it's very easy to pick and choose on in terms of what which mode you like yeah yeah great um you know we're getting close to the eia deadline for recommendations are there any words that you want to kind of end with um you know do you want to do a summary of what's going on or a way forward or any kind of call to action on the eia notification yes well um, of course I, i i know it's quite controversial and i feel environmental impact assessment um in our country um you know has to change in terms of the way it happens i i for a year or two at the start of my career actually used to review eia reports and most of them were cut copy paste of one another you know only the name of the project changing and rest everything else is all the same so i feel eia has to be looked very differently it's not an avenue to get projects cleared it it should be an avenue to make informed decisions and choices on letting a project come in or not i mean that is the entire idea of having an environmental impact assessment in place but in today's time it's become a you know it's it's become a lobby to get projects cleared so i feel what we perceive eia and what it it exactly is 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 very much different and we really need to bridge the gap between the two so uh, an eia in my opinion should be to make informed decisions and choices to get uh, projects cleared in a manner so that they don't affect environment at all um, and especially all those mandates wherein a project shouldn't come in a sensitive area or in a sensitive habitat or eco sensitive zones or crz zones all those modalities shouldn't be violated at any cost which presently is happening and uh, quite shocking yeah i'm mean, not really happy with the way things are going in this area yeah yeah uh, well thank you so much for that call to action for us to read to be aware and actually act and stand up for what we think is right um it's been such a fun time speaking with you i have been your fan girl for a long time reading all of your work so such a pleasure to have actually sat down and kind of spoken to you thank you so much for taking time off your busy schedule to chat with thank us you, thank you so much and i love the work that you do uh, you know and uh, keep on doing the great work and yeah let's create a ripple effect multiplier effect let's do it <laughs> great yeah. thank you so Thanks. much